$75,000 for a home. To what extent do you think this is a broader solution for house supply? There's 7 million manufactured homes in the country. Our business is owning the land and renting out that land. That's it's in its purest form. Hello, this is Andrew Parsons, CIO at Resolution Capital. And thanks for joining us for our latest instalment of At Home with REITs. Today, I'm speaking with Marguerite Nader, CEO of Equity Lifestyle. Equity Lifestyle has arguably been one of the most successful REITs since it listed in 1993. The REIT owns and operates recreational vehicle parks, otherwise known as RV parks, as well as manufactured home communities in North America. In simple terms, it owns caravan and trailer parks. So much for all the hype about trophy buildings, it's been an extraordinary performer and highlights the importance and value of scarcity and cash flow. For the benefit of our audience, and you know, it's a broad range of different people, could you just describe what Equity Lifestyle is? Sure, sure. So I mentioned uh, we Equity Lifestyle Properties, we started out as a public company in 1992 with 40 properties. We now have over 400 properties. We have uh, approximately half of our properties are manufactured home communities and half are RV resorts. Uh, so we like to say we paint a smile on the face of the United States. So we're basically in, in and around the Northeast all the way down to the Sun Belt, Florida, Arizona, Texas, um, and then up California, up the state of California into Washington and Oregon. Um, and that's been a very purposeful strategy uh, over time that we've developed to focus in on those areas. Uh, a high, the demographic population is, you know, the, the baby boomers uh, is where our focus is on. Um, we really, we offer, so we own the land and people put their homes or their RV, their park models, their resort cottage, their tiny homes. We love the mm -hmm. tiny homes. Yeah, we uh, and we offer, you know, so so the residents put their homes, put their RVs on our site, and mm -hmm. then we we and then they pay us rent. Uh, mm -hmm. There are these communities are filled with amenities. Uh, we have pickleball courts. Everybody loves our pickleball courts, and we continue to build those uh, more and more each year. Tennis courts, softball courts, uh, Olympic-sized uh, pools, golf courses. Um, the residents are really coming to our properties to escape uh, the northern winters for the most part. Um, the, the ones that are in the in the south, they're coming to escape. And our properties in the north, our RV resorts, it's really a weekend escape. They're just trying to, to get away for the week, get away for a weekend uh, and uh, and have the opportunity to to be with family. Um, it's a lot about being with family and a lot about community at the level of the manufactured home communities. Mm. So, could, could I mean, in this country, we're not quite as familiar with the manufactured home concept. It, it it it's it's probably in its infancy relative to the U.S. So, could you just provide a bit more color because it's a, it's such a, a interesting concept um, that that basically for a bit of term, you own the land, and as you said, the occupant literally places their own building home, home building on right. your, your site. Now, right. these are these are genuine homes. So people have a sort of a perception that be sort of a pretty basic, but uh, you know, I've obviously toured a few of them, mm -hmm. and they're actually quite presentable. You know, decent, functional, 
um, you know, homes. I, I've been the quality has been quite ex, um, uh, interesting to me in terms of the, the perception and the reality. Right. I mean, the quality of the homes um, has improved dramatically over the last 25 years, um, and all of the amenities of a home that you would want. Uh, can be included and they can be customized to your liking. So, you know, you can pick your pick your uh, pattern in terms of how many uh, bedrooms, how many bathrooms you you want, what you want your kitchen layout to be, what are the kitchen amenities you want included. So it's it's the exact same thing as what you would think about uh, from uh, any single family home development. Uh, and it's just it's just that the price point and the ability to deliver it is is lower. Um, and therefore, it's more accessible to a, a larger base of people. So the, the, the homes are manufactured off-site and quite often by a company associated with uh, Berkshire Hathaway, correct? That, that is one. So there yeah. are many companies. So the, mm. homes, um, the homes are built off-site uh, mm. and we engage with those manufacturers. Uh, and what we will do is we will uh, buy homes, uh, we'll put in, in order in for homes and we generally get put to the front of the line for orders because obviously our orders are, are pretty substantial. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll order the homes, the homes will be delivered to our properties. Mm. We will, um, we will uh, put the home on the site. Uh, the home will then be held for sale and we will sell that home. And then the, the resident will come in, the resident will live in that home. They'll give us ground rent to live in that home and they will uh, customize the home, customize the, the landscaping around, do everything you would do to make it, uh, you know, make it feel like, you know, a, a home that they want to, uh, that they want to be in. Um, and, uh, and so we see that and you see the pride of ownership, uh, throughout. Mm. And, and, and roughly, uh, how much does, a, um, uh, do they pay for a standard home, if you will? So the, the price point to, in, in our communities is about between 75,000. It can, it can range from 75 and can go really frankly up to $150,000. So it's a wide range mm. for, uh, for a new home. And then the average rent that they would pay per month to use the, for the land? Right. The average rent is about $650. Now that is, it, of course, varies by, uh, by yeah. location. Sure. I mean, what's fascinating there is, is the affordability issue, $75,000 for a home. I'm surprised that it hasn't had more attention. You know, we've spoken with you as home builders and they talk about the difficulty and the, the pressures on, on having a house is built. Right. To what extent do you think this is a broader solution for, 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 for house um, supply? You know, I've been thinking about it and I've been thinking about it for a long time um, in our, our business. I mean, manufactured housing is really, uh, you know, it's, there's 7 million manufactured homes in the country um, mm -hmm. that housing over 18 million people, you know, in the United States. Um, so it makes up about 6% of the housing, and, it, and it's a really a, a bigger number when you think about going outside of the metro areas. It's more like 14% of the housing. Uh, it's, it's very efficient on a square foot basis, um, and it's a product that really could help address some of the needs in the United States with housing. But what happens, Andrew, is that it ends up being, it's not a, it's not a U.S. issue, it ends up being a very localized issue. You, you need to get the zoning 
from the six people that are sitting in front of you at a city council meeting. So it makes it it makes it more difficult. So you're fighting battles at every level as opposed to some, you know, a writ large kind of blanket proclamation. So uh, so I, I believe uh, we're we're not there yet, but we could be in a place where uh, where it, it, at some point there's a there's a better appreciation for what uh, this, you know, what manufactured housing has to offer. And, and so what is the pushback from from the, the planning zoning entitlement issue? So there is a, a little bit of, uh, it, you know, historically it's been NIMBY, you know, the not in my backyard kind of phenomena. Uh, we've seen less of that lately. So that's a, that's a good thing. And as the, as the quality of the homes have uh, gone up, that's, that's been helpful. Uh, but, you know, in locations where we want to be, I mean, um, it's, it's been, a, it's been sometimes difficult to, to, you know, to make that case and for us to, uh, you know, appeal to the city council because they, they think they want, you know, uh, a hotel back in the, back in the day, maybe they don't think that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so they, they think of other things that, that may, that may make sense for, for that location. Okay. Uh, so again, um, the, the fascinating thing that you don't own the, the building. So why, why don't you offer the, the, the package so the, the, the you know so it's literally just a rent in fact I think you do there is a small portion of your occupants that are renting both the land and the building mm-hmm. but what why has the the model developed down the path that it has so prior to uh, 2008 when the real estate market was having you know significant issues um, we we really didn't rent any homes. It was like two percent of our overall population uh, was was uh, in the rental pool. But when we got 2008, we ended up having a lot of homes on our sites already, go, kind of going through the process I outlined earlier. We bought them from the manufacturer, and we were in a place where no one was no one was buying. And we said, well, we could do nothing and just let these homes sit there, or we could. Or we could make a make a change and say, let's let's look at this rental program. Let's do a let's do it and let's do it in a smart way, so that we get uh, we look to renters who are looking to convert, not just not just perpetual renters. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there was if there was a way to kind of uh, work through that and uh, the ability to convert, so we at one point I believe in probably 2012 or 13 we had reached a, a high level um, of renters so that we were at I think about eight or nine percent of our occupancy was rentals we've now taken that down uh, to the five percent range uh, because we saw the ability to sell and in an environment where you know, I don't like to be in charge of bathrooms and kitchens. That's that's not our business. Our business is owning the land and renting out that land. That's it's the, in its purest form. That's what we want to do. When we start adding to it, certainly we can we can we know how to operationally we can rent the home, but then we have all of the responsibilities attendant to that, um, and the depreciation associated with that, and the upkeep and the maintenance. And for us, if we knew, if you waited an extra month, uh, you could you could sell it. We're in a better position because a, a seller, I'm sorry, a manufactured owner uh, will stay with us on average of 10 years. 
And then they sell their home in place to somebody else who then continues another cycle of 10 years. So it, it results in an unbroken cash flow stream to us, as opposed to that churn that you see on the rental side. So it's a real, it's the stability of that cash flow that we've been long admired for. And, uh, and we, we see that and we want more of that. But in the instances where we see some weaknesses in markets, we know that we can rely and we can kind of go to this plan B, we can go to this rental model in certain areas where it may make sense. But as a whole, I would rather, uh, I would rather be in a position where I'm selling the homes and, and getting the site rent. I mean, does this make you uh, cynical when you go home? To, I presume you own your own home. Make you cynical about owning your own home and all the, the costs associated with home ownership? Well, I think there is. There are certainly when you look at having to redo bathrooms and redo kitchens, uh, it certainly gets to be uh, it gets to be expensive, um, and and it's really about that uh, generating those new leads. It you know it takes it takes a it takes some energy to generate that new lead traffic. And if instead we can have um, we can have an owner who, when when our owners are at the property, they're very they're they're very focused on keeping our property up very nicely, keeping their home up. Um, it's a great partnership that we have, uh, and 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 we like to continue that. So, give us an idea then of the the, the the average age of the occupant of your manufactured home communities. Sure. So our manufactured home. Um, occupants are about 59 years old and inside of our RV communities are a little bit younger, about 55 years old. And uh, they do stay with us. Uh, we, we stay with us for an average of about 10 years. Um, and they, uh, you know, we, we really cater to that baby boomer and the baby boomer, you know, is coming in at 10,000 a day for the next, I think it's, maybe it's now 11 years. I kept saying 12. So it's 11 years, I think now of continual we're continuing to get this churn of these new baby boomers coming into the marketplace who are uh, you know interested in interested in the lifestyle that we have to offer and the thing andrew i think that is really important and for those who who aren't familiar with our asset classes is what we offer is community i mean we used to be called our name used to be manufactured home communities i said i said before mhc and people would say, oh, so you, you know, you manufacture the homes. And we would say, well, why would you think that? <laughs> well, that's your name. And so, we, we, <laughs> so we changed our name. Equity, obviously, a nod to the equity brand. But lifestyle, lifestyle is our middle name. It's about that community. It's about what happens when you get past the gates. It's not about the home. It's not about the four walls that you're inside. It's about getting in the golf cart driving down the road and going to have your, you know, your experience, uh, socially distance experience uh, in, uh, you know, down, down at the clubhouse or at the uh, golf course, et cetera. So then the, the, the picture, the painting that you sell, obviously, you know, uh, there, there's heart to it, but unfortunately the industry has come under a little bit of scrutiny in the last couple of years because of, it seems as the arrival of particularly the private equity operators. Do you think that's been a, a, a real issue or is it sort of fear mongering? Um, have they, are they changing the way that these parks and, and they're being operated or sold or promoted? 
Well, I believe that um, I can kind of speak to what, what we do. I mean, we conduct market surveys to determine what is the appropriate rent to charge uh, based on what's happening in the market. Um, we don't look at we don't look at what what's said on a spreadsheet or what we thought was going to happen from a you know from an acquisition model to determine what should happen in in a uh, in a in a environment for a rent increase. So a lot of the a lot of what's happened is that focus on the rent increase. And what we do is sit down and 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 uh, most of the players in the um, you know, in the business do this, we sit down with our homeowners and we have the ability to sit down and talk with the homeowners representatives. So we'll sit and talk to six or seven people and we'll walk through and say, um, you know, this is what we're thinking about doing for a rent increase. What do you think? And uh, they, they respond, they give us their, they give us their feedback and some of their feedback may be uh, that that seems like it's okay, but geez, did you think about doing the X, Y, and Z from a capital standpoint? So it's really a it's really a, a negotiation. It's a discussion. This these are um, people that are you know sitting down that care about our communities, and uh, and we get to we get to a level where where it makes sense, and we're able to kind of move forward um, and issue the rent increase, and and we provide what we're going to do from a from a capital standpoint. So I think that's incredibly important. That relationship is incredibly important. And it's a little bit foreign to other forms of real estate. You don't you don't really see those relationships on the multifamily side because there's so much turnover. Sure. You don't see that on the office, et cetera. So it's really a relationship. You might be you might be sitting in front of someone for 10 years, you know, every year you're in front of someone talking about a, a rate increase. So I think that uh, that relationship is important to us. And uh, I think that uh, there needs to be an appreciation of that relationship. But I mean, unfortunately, the cynics would say that, that as I say, the private equity guys who are perhaps a little uh, differently motivated, um, they're exploiting the fact that people have put $75,000, of their capital onto the land and they really don't have much choice. I mean, how do you balance that that dynamic out then? In terms yeah. of it's not easy to just literally lift the house and go somewhere else, is it? Certainly, you can certainly you can move a home. That's absolutely certainly a cost money to do that. So it's not a it's not an easy decision to make. Um, but what uh, what what we've generally seen, and you'll t you know you take um, Florida, um, California. There are governors on rent as to what rent can increase. There's something right. called a prospectus in Florida, and that governs that goes with the land and goes with the site. So that that site has a prospectus and forever, as long as that site is a site, that prospectus governs it. So it indicates what, how the rent can be increased. That is a, it's a great governor that was put in place years and years ago because of just what you're saying, which is you don't want to be in a position where you, where someone puts down a substantial amount of money on your real estate um, and you don't have the, and, and you, you have quote, the upper hand. Um, so we don't, we don't see that. Uh, and we certainly pay attention to those, uh, to the governors and to the, the, the governors that we have on, on rate increases. And, um, and we have, uh, in California, we have rent control that certainly governs that. 
So I don't want to jump around too much, but just go back. So the person comes in and they pay, let's call it $100,000 to have their own home and they're paying rent. So what's the dynamic though in terms of what's the option for them? Is this a um, is this a, an affordable uh, lifestyle decision, frees up capital? Or is it, what, what's the, the driver, if you will, of the model in, in terms of it playing out this way that rather than people just going and buying land and house together? Right. So I- I kind of look at it like this. If you if you want to come down, you know, from Chicago or New York, which is mostly where people from Florida kind of visit mm. the East and West Coast. If you're interested and you just want to go to Florida because you like the sun and you want to be, uh, you know, you want to get out of the harsh winters and you want to be a little bit by yourself, then I would say that maybe our communities aren't really for you. You could buy you could buy a piece of land and you could put a you know you can put a home on it and live there and 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 you know and you'll be fine kind of with that. But what our customers are looking for, they're looking for that community. They're looking for it's a little bit of birds of a feather flock together. So the people from Chicago come down and they go to the west coast of Florida. The people from New York come down and you see them really populating the east coast. Right. Uh, and so what they want to do is they want to live amongst uh, other, uh, you know, other people that are either retired, semi-retired, have time on their hands, have time to play a little bit. And that's the real driver. And so as we look at, we'll look at what's happening in the single family rental market just just as a marker to understand where uh, what where rents maybe that you know should be, but but it's a different decision. If you're if you're considering renting a single family home, you have a desire to do your own thing and not really be part of a community. If you're coming past our gates, you want to wave to the guy at the front gate. You want everyone to know your name. You want everyone to know your business, um, and that's what we see. So that's the real difference. And I think it's a it's a sense of community and it's a sense of safety that people uh, that people achieve by just you know knowing your neighbors and knowing what's going on, but at the same time having your own separate home, unlike what you see uh, you know where you have shared shared spaces. Mm. So it's it's interesting because we hear so much about senior housing. Do you think that this is a form or a very efficient form of senior housing or is, is this pre-senior housing? Because it's independent living, obviously. Right, right. And it certainly is. I mean, it's certainly these, um, you know, the our, our residents um, are very active uh, and they and they like they like their homes. In some cases, they'll come down and they think they're going to downsize and they'll move into a smaller home. And then all of a sudden they realize, wow. Florida is a really nice place in January and all of a sudden the family starts coming out of the woodwork and everyone starts coming down and now they look like they have to, you know, they want to increase the size of their home, get a bigger home. Uh, we see that quite often. And so, uh, so that's certainly something that um, what we want to do inside of our communities is encourage an active lifestyle. We have a lot of softball uh um, games being played, uh, pickleball tournaments, all kinds of tournaments of those of those uh, style, so that people are active. And you know, years ago, uh, people would say, "Is there a is there a card room? Is there a computer room? You know, in inside some of the um, common areas." And now everyone just wants to know where's the fitness room, right. and uh, and what where are the fitness classes? And uh, the great thing, uh, you know, another great thing about our our properties is that we have an incredible amount of people 
at the proper at the resident level who are interested in starting their own clubs. They want to start the uh, you know the mm -hmm. exercise club. They want to start uh, swimming lessons or you know uh, swim aerobics that type of thing. And that happens all the time. So it's kind of like an opportunity for you to do something, you know, fill every hour of your day if you wanted to, or if, you know, in, in many instances, you might have a couple that one wants to fill every hour of the day, the other doesn't want to fill any hour of the day. And so we kind of, uh, you're, you're able to, to uh, address both of those needs. Now, uh, you've mentioned it twice, and, and I've seen it, and I still don't know what it is, uh, pickleboard, for, for, for the benefit of the audience. Sure. So take us through the international world of pickleboard and, and when you think it's going to be start, uh, I'm going to start be able to get bet on it. I think, well, exactly. I don't know when you can start to bet on it, but yeah. pickle, pickleball is a, uh, is basically tennis, but with a smaller, smaller paddle, it's a hard paddle and a smaller and, and a bigger ball and mm -hmm. the surface area is smaller. So you're, it, it's a little bit easier on the knees um, and, uh, so, and, and it's, it's something that people really, that our customers really enjoy. Um, and, uh, it's, it's important to have the pickleball courts facing the right direction because they need to be regulation, uh, regulation pickleball courts. Um, and we are, you know, across the portfolio, we're seeing, you know, we're changing the tennis, uh, courts to pickleball courts because there's just a, a real interest in that. Yeah, terrific. And, and again, the other sort of curious little anecdote or you might want to share with us is around the small homes. Sure, sure. Just so, uh, so we years of, it was probably four or five years ago. A group um, in our organization in the corporate office came to us and said, uh, "We would like to uh, we'd like to try out some of these tiny homes that everyone's talking about." And oh, yeah. and you know, a, a, a tiny home. And then we said, well, we, our homes are already, you know, they're, they're smaller, they're on the smaller side. And they said, well, we're, these homes are 400 square feet. Okay. Let's, let's look at that. So we, we uh, went and work, work with the manufacturer, bought some tiny homes, put them in one of our properties in Mount Hood uh, village. And, uh, and, we advertised for, you know, to show an open house for these tiny homes. The line was out the door two hours before because people just wanted to see what it was all about. They were so interested. We had a little tiny home village. It was a very nice, you know, a, a great execution from the team putting together this tiny home village. And people were really excited. It's on the, it's in their, in their bucket list of, of wanting to stay in these homes. And if you can imagine 400 square feet every bit of space is is maximized so the stairs are also your drawers that's where you you know you keep your clothes as well as you walk up the stairs to get to the loft uh, so it's uh, it's something that what we found is it's a nice little thing for us to be able to showcase but what we're really showcasing is our community and so it may be we have a community that's a little bit far off the beaten path and all of a sudden, the tiny home drives people there. And once they get there, they say, well, this is nice. And I'll stay in that tiny home for a night or two. But I'm coming back because I want to just I really like this location. This is really neat. Mm. Uh, and so we've seen that a lot. And we've seen that in locations that we just we're having a little bit of difficulty driving customers. And we've we've done that. And it's been and it's been successful. Well, thanks for, I think, sort of bringing to life some of the you know, I think, you know, benefits or, or attractive features of, of the properties. But 
most importantly, from an investment perspective, it's been an exceptional um, platform. Um, I was looking at the numbers the other day, and you might want to just sort of highlight the, the longer term uh, metrics of, of, of returns. Sure, sure. So, you know, we have a, a really uh, a, a great chart that we talk about all the time in our uh, in all of our investor presentations, which is our NOI growth, um, our outperformance over time. Um, and this chart goes back to 1998 and could go back beyond that. That just shows our NOI growth at 4.1% over that time. Um, and we, as you, you know, if you look at the chart, you'll see that we've never gone negative. Um, mm. And I can continue to say that now, even in uh, even in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know that I could have told you what happened in a pandemic, but now I can. Mm. And yeah. uh, and it and it continues to be positive. So we have a, a positive NOI growth. Um, and then you see our uh, our our normalized FFO uh, per share growth as has been nine percent per year over the last uh, over the last twelve years and beyond. So certainly uh, an impressive an impressive run uh, of an increase from our FFO. Um, and we, we like to translate. We look at NOI. Certainly, that's important. But then translating that into FFO is incredibly important for us, mm -hmm. and and making sure that that shareholder value is there. Uh, and then we also have uh, shown some uh, very strong dividend growth over time, and uh, and that's been uh, that's been very nice to see. I think over the last five years, we had a 17 percent. Uh, increase in our in our dividend uh, uh, compounded annual growth rate. So uh, so that's been that's been very uh, good to be able to talk about, um, and I think appreciated by investors. Oh, absolutely, and so it has been a truly exceptional record. I mean, outpacing the S and P over various time frames, and certainly the the REITs. But do you think there was a sort of a a turning point or a light going on moment? for the stock or has it been a sort of a gradual appreciation over time? Well, I, I think that certainly when there were more players that started to get into the marketplace, so it was 2013, 2014, there was, we saw more people showing up at the at the auction tents. We saw, we were talking to an owner and he would say, I just talked to Johnny. And we said, well, you know, why are you talking to Johnny? That's not, that, that's not what, what we like. We like just with the, the, the few people that we know. Um, so we saw more people uh, coming to the auction tent um, and that had, uh, what, what you saw there was just a, a compression in cap rates. You saw the owners saying, well, I've got a lot of suitors out here. That must mean that um, that this is pretty uh, pretty incredible real estate and pretty pretty incredible platform. Um, so you saw that at that time, uh, you saw that the cap rates were driven down, um, and you know you saw that inside of uh, deals that were trading at the time, and um, and and that's just continued. Those cap rates have continued to compress over time as people continue to see. Uh, the results of our, um, you know, results of of our business, both on the MH side and the RV side. And and on the capital management, I mean, you you've got, I think, the longest one of the longest debt durations in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's your attitude towards debt? I mean, it, 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 what's the right amount of debt for you guys, if you will? Yeah. Yeah, so so we've spent a lot of time, and Paul's done a great job of of managing our managing our debt maturities. Um, we do have the longest term 
Um, and we also have, so we have, I think the average term maturity is 13 years um, and the weighted average rate is 4%. And um, that what we've focused on over the last few years is really um, fully amortizing debt. So you look at our debt schedule, you see that in, you know, it, it, that 10, 15 years out, you don't see these big spikes uh, in repayment. So we're really not subject to refinance risk, which we find really attractive. And uh, so, and for us to be able to uh, to participate in that uh, strategy has been has been very uh, has been very helpful um, and uh, and 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 rewarding. And uh, and I think you know we'll just we'll just continue to do that. Um, there aren't that many uh, maturities coming up in the next couple of years, um, but you'll see us uh, you'll see us do that and go for the the longer term. But that, that's also a little unusual, isn't it, in terms of the amortizing debt, the extent to which you're amortizing debt? Right. It is. It is unusual. But for us, we saw it and we said, um, you know, it, we think about this because we're long term. I mean, we've been here a long time, so we don't think about we think uh, five years is a really short time. So we think what's going to what's this going to look like when, you know, when uh, the next uh, CFO, CEO combination is here and uh, let's let's leave them with something that makes them uh, happy with what we've what we've done. And I think I think that you see that and, and this and the difference between fully amortized in terms of rate wasn't that uh, the, the spread wasn't that big. And it, it really made sense for us to do. The other thing I want to talk about and really crucial, crucially, I think, at the moment, um, you know, given what's going on in California with with fires, but is around sustainability and, and, and climate change, because. You know, you you got. I mean, it's bushfires now, but let's right. not forget also. You know, your your properties are subject to hurricanes and rising sea levels. Right. So, for you, you, you know, you're a business that really is um, uh, facing up to to the real prospect of 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 climate change and what it means, and you know, stranded assets and insurance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. You know, so I and I think you know I mentioned that we just did our first sustainability report uh, this this past year. We called it our nature uh, because it's always been in our nature to act responsibly, and that's what we and that's what we wanted to do. And we wanted to document, and we really were documenting what we were already doing. Um, we focused on the biodiversity on our properties. Uh, we have thirty nine thousand acres of land in our properties. And we cohabitate with 32 threatened or uh, or you know threatened endangered species. Um, we have, I think, it's about 8,800 forested acres and 2,000 uh, acres of wetlands. Within and then within our manufactured home communities, we have about 700 acres of tree canopy, um, and that helps to really increase the energy efficiency. And our, our forested acres really helps to fight climate change, you know, using the trees and the, um, you know, to absorb the carbon dioxide. So we look at that and what we wanted to do, we wanted to count the trees and understand what we have in order to, to, to get an appreciation and make sure that there was an appreciation that not only were we, there was a, not a negative impact, but there was a positive impact that, that we should be understanding and appreciating. So, so we wanted to, to count that and account for that. So we did that. With respect to climate change, we did, we reviewed within the same, um, our nature um, um, sustainability report, we reviewed our portfolio and to look at the impact of a rise in sea level. 
and we really determined that with a six foot rise in sea level, there's less than 10 of ELS properties would be significantly at risk in the future. So really on the, in the Florida area. Um, so, so it, you know, we kind of quantified that so that, so that for investors could have an appreciation for that. Um, as we've seen, uh, we've seen hurricanes come through over the last, you know, over the last few years, there's been an increase in hurricanes. And while you could never say, uh, you know, we, there's not too much positive things to say about a hurricane, um, except that the the hurricane that occurred in 2018 or 2018, um, it it came through and everybody, there was a lot of concern about whether or not it was going to go east, west, up the center, where, where it was going to happen. And it ended up just kind of going across all of Florida. And when it did that, uh, there, it, you know, it started, it was category four, four, category three, et cetera. There was a real, there was a, the, the, the engineers were saying, look, we built these, we built these homes. We changed the standards of the homes changed over the last 20 years. We're ready for this. And, and not only just on the manufactured housing side, but all of the infrastructure throughout in the towns, everywhere, everyone had done, had spent a, an incredible amount of time and energy building so that the wind, uh, you know, building a, a, in accordance with wind standards. Uh, so the hurricane came through. There was a lot of debris thrown around. There was trees down. But there was, there was just negligible amount of damage to the manufactured homes themselves. The home stayed in place. It was even difficult for people, you know, the, the media or the news shots would like to stand in front of something that is, you know, that is uh, destroyed. And, and they weren't able to do that. And that was a real, that was a great sign to be able to say, you know, look, this is, this is what happens in, in a hurricane setting. And so those winds, those really high wind counts uh, came through and uh, the properties fared really well. And uh, so that was a, that was a positive. The other uh, the other thing is is we are really good at hurricane preparation, and we're really good at knowing what to do, when to do it. Um, the 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 hurricane with hurricanes, you do get an advance notice. They don't generally come out of nowhere. Uh, so there so that's another thing. So once we see it coming through, we're in hurricane season right now, we see it coming through, we get it, we step up our hurricane preparedness plan. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Everybody has a role. And, uh, and so it's, it's as good as it can be um, in a in a in a difficult environment like a hurricane. And, and I have to ask, but the, the rising sea level uh, issue and the fact that you said, I think you said 10 properties at risk of rising sea levels, that wasn't behind your decision to move in and start buying marinas. So those properties can't be converted to marinas in the future, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> right. That could be. No, <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, and so we, we obviously we own, uh, we own marinas in Florida um, mm. and, uh, and we own marinas in other areas that were associated with our manufactured home communities um, already before we bought that portfolio. Right. All right. And then finally, yes, just explain to people, you know, the equity brand. I mean, there's equity lifestyle, there's uh, equity commonwealth, equity residential, uh, and you mentioned earlier equity office, which right. was a, an office vehicle that was delisted. It was taken private by, I think it was uh, Blackstone back in 2006, seven. Correct. Um, so what, what is the equity brand all about? So, 
so Sam Zell is obviously he's our chairman and um, and equity um, or uh, MHC Equity Lifestyle was the first company that he took public within the within the REIT space, um, and then followed by uh, the the uh, multifamily EQR EOP etc. And uh, what you know, what you see inside of our organization within all the equity companies is in an incredible long tenure of employees. You have a lot of people that have been here a long time, um, and so there's a tremendous amount of, of trust at the at the level of the the senior management teams, the executive teams. Um, everybody uh, knows each other very well. Um, Sam is surrounded. I think all of his uh, all of Sam's uh, CEOs have been with him for 20 plus years, which is a testament to uh, to the way he operates. Um, and uh, he is certainly, I, as far as I can speak for ELS, um, he is very um, uh, involved in in equity lifestyle. He loves uh, loves the business, talks about it all the time. If you see how much uh, you know, see what he says publicly about ELS, it's all very uh, great. Uh, talks about the talks about it from the from the beginning when he saw the asset class and how interesting it was to him. Um, but he's very, he's very involved. We're on the seventh floor, uh, Sam's on the sixth floor. And so we have, uh, you know, constant conversations uh, about it. And it's, it's really, it's really that focus on um, the, the long tenured employee. And uh, I think that's what, that's what uh, mainly the brand kind of, the brand stands for, um, for that level of engagement uh, for for the people that operate as companies, uh, and uh, I guess Margaret, the the business is pretty self funding. You haven't had to raise money for quite some time, etc. What? Why why do you need to be listed? What's the benefit of being listed for for, for equity lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's certainly uh, you know we did a transaction, the hometown transaction in two thousand and eleven. Um, we were, uh, it was, let's see, February of 2011. We found out that maybe they were interested in selling a portion and within, you know, within uh, 20 days, we were in a place where we knew we could do the deal and we knew we could do that because we had the, the, the backing of the ability to, to issue shares. Um, so that flexibility, and that's happened before. So that flexibility to be able to, uh, to be able to participate in any uh, acquisition environment that's potentially out there is really attractive to us, um, and we think that you know certainly uh, we have a strong strong governance um, and strong leadership at the board level um, that uh, you know that it that that helps out as well. Mm. All right, and and look, just in closing, then what what's the your biggest challenge in the next sort of, let's say five to 10 years is um, in terms of for, for, for the business, do you think? I think that uh, it continues to be, you know, I don't, it's a challenge for us to, uh, to continue to figure out what is our customer looking for, because it's changing. Uh, like I said, I mentioned uh, fitness centers. I think that will continue to stay the same, but I think it's important for us to stay in touch with that. Uh, and how uh, if there's if there's changes as a result of COVID and how people want to interact with each other. So I think it's really a focus on uh, on that customer and how they want to act and what do what do they want their experience to be. 
and um, and you know staying focused on that is important for us, um, and uh, and continuing to operate um, and you know have our properties as uh, you know in the, the the best shape and that we've you know continued to do. I think that's the that that's the most important thing. I mean, it's pleasing that we haven't been so fixated on on COVID, but I, I guess we probably should just touch briefly on, uh, you know, again, we're sort of still in the midst of it, trying to make sense of it. But but what what, what sense are you making of of the COVID situation? You know, we've we've seen a change in customer behaviour. Um, you know, our customers have appreciated the response that that we've had to the pandemic, um, and by and large, they followed our new protocols without without question, which has been very helpful because there's things that, you know, we never would have thought that we we're going to close our uh, close our offices and have them be a, a appointment only. That was something that you would have never, you know, thought that we would do. And now people appreciate it. it's appointment only. Okay, I'll call and I'll, I'll get an appointment. So that's been that's been good. Uh, and working with uh, operations and, and marketing to kind of come up with unique events uh, we focused a lot of efforts in our RV park uh, over the over the summer on outdoor movie theaters. So we bought a lot of outdoor movie theater screens. People pull their golf cart up there, and they really enjoy it and appreciate uh, appreciate that. And so now you're you're creating something where you didn't have an outdoor movie theater before, and now you do. And now all of a sudden, it's a it's a neat amenity. <laughs> Um, it's, it's one that's going to be here for, you know, it's, it's a keeper, it's not going to go away. Um, and you, we, we, we're trying to figure out what's, what are more ways that we can do that. Um, we've had, we're, we're using technology in a way that we hadn't before, uh, since, you know, during COVID with online reservations, we've moved our call centers, you know, so that there's, they're not, uh, at, at the call center, that's all remote activity, um, and we're using uh, Zoom and FaceTime for uh, for virtual home showings, um, and we've we've really increased our electronic payments so that people are no longer coming into the office to hand the check. So there's been a lot of things that have happened that have made things more efficient. Um, but it's that's that constant listening to our customer: what do they want, and how can we satisfy that? But just at the moment, from what we've seen in the last quarterly result, the, the, the performance, again, it's still, we're not through it, but it does seem as though things are holding up relatively well for you guys in terms of occupancy, people paying rents on time. There's no clear signs, do you think? Or again, as, as we see government support start to be withdrawn, etc., will we see more evidence of, of, of challenges or do you think we're sort of getting through the, the worst of it? Yeah, I think that, what, you know, what you've seen, we've had um, and we've published that, you know, occupancy is really continues to be really strong. We're 95 percent occupied on the MH side. Collections are strong, 99 percent. Uh, so really strong collections as that's on the MH side and the RV side, strong collections on the RV side. And then the added extra kind of bonus on the RV side. Um, really strong activity, especially in August and September, uh, where people are very interested in, you know, very more comfortable getting away now. And, uh, but at the same time, don't really have, they don't want to get on a plane. Uh, they don't want to stay in a hotel. And so they're, uh, they're pretty excited to be, uh, to be learning about our RV lifestyle. And we've seen an increase there. 
Um, so strength really on both sides of on the MH side and the RV side. Well, Marguerite, look, I really appreciate your time. It's been honestly a, a real joy to speak to you about such a fascinating business and such a successful business. And look, on behalf of our investors who have been, you know, investors in the business for a long period of time, thank you for all the work that you and the team do for, for our investors. So thank you very look, much. Thank you very much. I always appreciate, you know, talking about ELS. I could talk about it all day long. But before you go... This podcast has been created as general information only and is not intended to be advice of any kind. It does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs.